Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. It is uh, Friday, October 14th. I'm Doug Fletcher, and this is What's the Hazard? Uh, welcome. I, I don't have a guest today, so we're going to keep it short and right to the point. Uh, but we do have some really fantastic guests coming up in the future. Uh, I have been to two conferences over the last week or so. I went over to Des Moines last week to go to the Make You Safe conference. They had a user's conference. If you're familiar with Make You Safe, the company that has developed those wearable devices that track uh, any number of different factors, environmental and other um, uh, factors that uh, relate to the work environment uh, on employees. Really interesting company and a really interesting conference. They had some great speakers. I met some really interesting folks over there, and so they have agreed to come onto the podcast uh, so that you can hear what I heard, which was really interesting stuff. And then yesterday, I actually went to an Encore Safety Network conference um, here in Omaha. Again, another really good conference. The Encore Safety Network is a group that I collaborate with, uh, part of Ellerbrock Norris. Um, it is just a you know, uh, an assembly of like-minded individuals who all believe in safety and who are working to improve and share and collaborate. And so we had a really interesting conference yesterday. Um, Aaron Cerrone, my buddy, was one of the presenters. It, it, it always amazes me because Aaron is a, a business person. He teaches at the University of Nebraska, Omaha in the business department. He teaches process and lean um, efficiency and entrepreneurship, things like that. But when he, when he talks about safety, when you, when you transfer the words, you know, quality operations, process, production, safety, they, they all seem interchangeable. And so when he talks, he's talking about concepts that he uses in his business course, but they are actually coupled with safety so intimately that Simply by changing the words, oftentimes it makes perfect sense. It's incredibly relevant. And so I think that is kind of leads into what I'm going to talk a little bit about today is these, you know, blind spots. Aaron talked about blind spots and being unconventional in our thinking and our approach to, in this case, safety. I think we do develop blind spots. And as a safety professional for the last 35 years, I know that I have um, safety bias and my training bias in the way that I view things, my perspective on things. So uh, it was a really interesting conference, and Aaron's presentations is always fascinating. So I'm going to get him on in the near future to discuss some of the things that he was talking about in that presentation. I spoke, I spoke briefly and uneloquently about uh, this safety differently thing, this safety two stuff that I've been reading about. We've talked a little bit about it, and we will talk more about it. Uh, there was a young man by the name of Dustin Talaco, I think is the pronunciation. He is a paramedic here in the, with the Omaha Fire Department, and he talked about stopping bleeding. And so it was, I think that it's an actual course called Stop the Bleed or something like that. But 
in his off time, in his non-Omaha Fire Department time, he has a company that does training on um, how to stop bleeding from accidents, from uh, acts of violence, you know, maybe gunshots or knife wounds, but certainly industrial accidents, things like that. And he was showing us how to use tourniquets, how to pack wounds, fascinating stuff. And he, he mentioned the fact that the majority of deaths related to these accidents are due to blood loss. And so that is something that has to be addressed immediately. Even if the fire department is rolled out, they're on their way. If we can do something to stop this bleeding, uh, the likelihood of a good outcome or a better outcome is significantly increased. And so I was fascinated by his presentation. Uh, and so I spoke with him and he agreed to come on and talk about that as well. Something that I think should be part of everybody's CPR first aid training is this, you know, how do we stop these bleeds? And again, in industrial environments where we oftentimes have puncture wounds or amputations, I think things like uh, packing wounds and tourniquet use, things like that are going to be really critical. So I'm looking forward to getting Dustin on the program. And then the final speaker of the day was Matt Thurlby, the area director from the Omaha area office, a good friend of mine a former colleague, uh, now the area director. So he's running the show here in Nebraska. Matt is a really articulate guy, very smart guy. Um, you know, frankly, when I was working for OSHA, one of the best investigators that we had on staff. And um, I actually learned a lot about the process of investigation and enforcement from Matt. Um, and now as the area director, I'm sure he has brought that into training the new compliance officers. They have a number of new staff in the office folks that i don't know have not had the opportunity to meet yet but he's very high on he thinks he has a good crew certainly uh an established crew of experienced folks as well as some of these new folks so i think things look good for the omaha area office it was interesting um you know matt was giving a description of you know what the area office is doing some of the emphasis programs that omaha specifically and the national you know national osha are undertaking interesting information but i found it interesting because i as you know most of you know that listen to the program i i have become really interested in this safety to safety differently concept and some of the folks that that talk about that and uh, have written about that i'm going to talk about a book that i'm reading right now in fact uh todd conklin sydney decker eric holnagel some of these folks others uh, really interesting approach to safety, a way to view safety differently. And as I'm listening, listening to Matt, it becomes very obvious to me that why I was a safety one person, you know, Matt, and, and by no means is this meant to be critical of Matt. He is an excellent safety man. Um, but he, his perspective is an enforcement perspective, obviously, as the head of the OSHA office here in Nebraska, and as he was talking to the group, he was talking about the fact that, you know, the OSHA citations have increased significantly since certainly when I was there, and they will increase again. You know, they are, they are increasing annually based on the consumer price index and inflationary considerations, things like that. And so, you know, citations right now, 14.5 for a serious citation, 145,000 for a repeat or a willful significant dollar amounts and he was talking about the fact that if if these numbers concern you all you really need to do is just comply you know 
just be compliant with the regulations and you shouldn't fear OSHA. And I remember saying that myself, you know, the best solution is to comply. And as you evolve as a safety differently thinker or a safety two thinker, you realize that it's not always as easy as that sounds. You know, we know that being compliant with OSHA uh, is like the bare minimum required by law. It's like being a C student, which uh, there's nothing wrong with being a C student. But if you want to be an A student, you certainly have to go above and beyond the requirements of OSHA as a bare minimum. Uh, but, the, but the thought that, you know, just comply is a lot more difficult than I think sometimes me, specifically as an OSHA person, understood. And I think having been out of OSHA now for nine years, approximately, um, it has become much more apparent to me how difficult it is to simply comply oftentimes. That doesn't mean you're not going above and beyond in other areas, but to be basically compliant so that an OSHA person could not find something that would be citable during an inspection activity is very difficult, very challenging. So that brings me to the topic today. We were talking, you know, Aaron mentioned yesterday during his presentation, and his presentation was titled, Be Unconventional. And he was talking about the fact that in business, certainly, uh, more specifically in safety, we tend to be very conventional and we tend to develop blind spots to our own work environment, our own programming, things like that. Um, complacency, you might call it organizational complacency. We talk about employee complacency uh, and complacency is simply just, I think, self-satisfaction or a comfort level or something like that. But employees become complacent uh, in that they think things are going well, they're comfortable, they don't, they, they kind of lose that edge perhaps. But I think organizations certainly become complacent as well when we think things are going right, things are going well for us, we're not having recordable incidents, everything must be good, and uh, organizations become complacent as well. And Aaron's point was, we all develop blind spots, we all miss things. I know that when we audit, we miss things because of our experience and our expertise and our comfort level, things like that. So it's important as an organization that we mix things up a little bit from time to time. Um, I heard one of those guys on YouTube telling me, it was either Conklin or Decker, one of those guys typically that I listen to when I'm driving, was telling me that statistically, companies that have very low or no recordable injuries or illnesses actually have higher frequencies of catastrophic outcomes, catastrophic incidents, fatalities, or severe injuries, okay, which is, seems odd. You know, it doesn't seem like that would be the case. And the opposite of that is also true. Companies that have recordables tend to have fewer catastrophic outcomes, which doesn't necessarily seem intuitive at first. But when you think about it, you know, think, for example, I'm the company that hasn't had a recordable injury for 400 days. And so that means I've addressed slips, trips, and falls. I've addressed sprains and strains. I've addressed maybe the other things that tend to hit our uh, injury and illness logs, our 300 logs, fairly well. Whatever that is in your work environment, 
if you haven't had a recordable injury or illness for 300, 400, 500 days, you are addressing those hazards really well, obviously. And so we're not having sprains or strains. We've done something to address that. The problem becomes uh, the issue that the things that typically hit our 300 logs are usually not the same things that cause catastrophic outcomes. The things that kill our em employees or severely injure our employees tend to be different. They're, they're, in, in my experience, there's very little overlap with that. And um, I know there have been a number of studies that have talked about near-miss evaluation. I think you know, you can read those old studies from the groups, you know, Cargill and some of those other big hitters, you know, the DuPonts and those. Um, they've done an analysis of near misses, and they have found that of, you know, this population of near misses that we experience in our work environment, about 20 to 21%, I think that was their number, 21% of those could have had catastrophic outcomes. And Likewise, then 79 to 80% of those would not have been catastrophic. You know, they would have been the sprained ankle or the strained knee or something. We don't want those, certainly, but those are not the things that are killing our employees. And so I think when we talk about organizational complacency, we need to be careful that when we're not having recordables, you know, our 300 logs look good, that we aren't missing those things, those cues to what could be catastrophic in our work environments, right? So we have, to, we have to manage safety from the standpoint of compliance. We want to be compliant, obviously, and that's challenging just to, you know, I mean, the things that OSHA oftentimes cites, you know, things in our maintenance shop like, you know, pedestal grinders aren't adjusted correctly, or unlabeled containers, you know, I mean, constantly surveilling our work environment to make sure those things are addressed is difficult and time consuming. And those oftentimes aren't the things that are going to truly hurt our employees. You know, I mean, I, I don't know the frequency of unlabeled containers that turn out to be problematic. We don't like that, certainly. And we know that there is a a potential for a bad outcome, but I don't know how often that happens when you consider how many unlabeled containers there must be. I think most employees know what's in the containers they're working with, at least for the most part. So, you know, compliance requires some of our attention. The OSHA recordable issues, the things that's, that are hurting our employees to the point where we need to record something certainly needs our attention. But that third element that, you know, um, what conditions can evolve in our work environments to lead to catastrophic outcomes. Um, those are the things that we address through preventive maintenance, through housekeeping, um, programs like that, you know, PSM, if that's your world. Uh, and those tend to be different. And so I think this idea of organizational complacency is a valid one, this concern. So just keep that in mind. If you are doing well with your uh, lost time injury rates or your dart rates. If you're doing well with that, congratulations. I think that's fantastic. We certainly want that. But be cautious of the fact that because these things are going well, everything is copacetic. I think, as Todd Conklin told me on one of his podcast episodes, the conditions for a catastrophic event exist in every work environment. 
they are there. And so we need to be cognizant of those things and be alert to the fact that having low injury rates doesn't necessarily mean that everything is copacetic. Um, and I know that, you know, from a management standpoint, oftentimes this is a blind spot. You know, our numbers look good, therefore everything is good. You know, we're safe. Um, be, be wary of that mindset, in my opinion. So I want to talk a little bit about a book I've started reading. I, I mentioned last time I, I read The Five Principles of Human Performance by Todd Conklin. A really interesting book. I've read a book that Sidney Decker and Conklin collaborated on. In fact, that book was being given away at the Make You Safe conference last week. Uh, they purchased a number of those books and were giving them away, which I thought was a beautiful uh, gesture. This is the book I'm reading right now. It's called The Edo Principle. Efficiency, Thoroughness, Trade-Off, E-T-T-O, by Eric uh, Holnagel. I'll call Eric and see if I can get him on the program. That seems unlikely, but yeah, I know. It says, why things that go right sometimes go wrong, which is, man, that is exactly what we're dealing with as safety professionals. And so I've just started the book. As you can see, I'm only you know into the first chapter but there's some stuff in here that resonates really strongly with me that I'm just going to lay on you now. And um, I'll finish the book by the next time we speak about this. And then those of you that are onto this stuff, maybe we can have some kind of a, an exchange or you can hit me up on LinkedIn and give me some thoughts about this in your work environment. But let me just read a, a few little sections from this book just to pique your interest perhaps. So he's talking about this efficiency thoroughness trade-off, okay? And he's talking about in its simplest possible form, it can be stated as follows. In their daily activities, at work or at leisure, people routinely make a choice between being efficient and being thorough, since it rarely is possible to be both at the same time. If demands for productivity or performance are high, Thoroughness is reduced until the productivity goals are met. So I'm only going to be as thorough as necessary to be to reach those productivity goals. In other words, I'm going to be more efficient and less thorough in order to reach those goals. It goes on to say, if demands for safety are high, efficiency is reduced until the safety goals are met. So in those circumstances where the demand for safety is high. Um, I am going to be as thorough as I need to be in order to meet those safety goals. I think that is really astute and, and accurate, right? Um, he goes on to say, for a recurrent work situation, most people will naturally choose the more efficient mode of operation as long as it, in their experience, is just as safe as the alternative. So I am going to reduce my thoroughness and increase my efficiency to a point where I'm comfortable that it's just as safe. And so I'll give you an example. Um, daily inspections. Let's just take powered industrial trucks, for example. There is an expectation in the regulation that an employee do a, a pre-inspection on this lift before they put it into service for that shift or that day. And I think most of us know that those pre-inspections get 
blown through very quickly. If done at all, we call it pencil whipping. You know, we see these checklists that are oftentimes on the lift truck and it's just check, 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 check. I rarely, if you ever see uh, a deficiency. And even then, if there is one, not much is done. And so I think from an efficiency standpoint, when we know we have a work to accomplish, when we know we have a busy day in front of us, we are going to be as efficient as possible. Therefore, our thoroughness is going to be reduced to a point where we feel like it's just as safe. And I think in most cases, you can pencil whip that checklist and the lift truck is going to perform just like it did the day before. And so I think your, your perception as the operator is oftentimes going to be then that <coughs> everything is just as safe as it was yesterday. And I really don't need to do a thorough pre-inspection of this equipment. And I would agree with that. I do the same thing, right? I mean, I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, we, we laugh about, you know, our women running our cars out of oil or something, uh, you know, and maybe that was a horrible statement. I don't know. But the fact is the car ran fine yesterday. And so I jump in the car and I drive without giving, you know, thorough consideration to the condition of the vehicle. I, I, there have been times when I've jumped in my car and driven down the road heading out of town and realized, crap, I'm out of gas, man. I mean, my gas light's on. I got to stop and get fuel, you know? So I think, again, that efficiency thoroughness trade-off is extremely valid, and it, it, it exists in our work environment all the time. Um, the last thing I want to point, he, he goes on to say, the ETO, E-T-T-O, principles in practice. It is clearly necessary for an individual or organization to be both efficient and thorough. It is necessary to be efficient because resources are always limited, and in particular because time is limited. Uh, but it is, uh, let's see, it, it is likewise necessary to be thorough, both to make sure that we do things in the right way so that we can achieve what we intend and to avoid adverse consequences, as I underline that, because that's an important statement. More concretely, an efficiency thoroughness trade-off can happen for one or more of the following reasons. Limited availability of required resources, especially limited time or uncertainty about how much time is available. So that efficiency thoroughness trade-off based on time constraints. And I think we all know that's true, okay? Um, the natural tendency or indeed human propensity not to use more effort than is needed. And I think that that's an efficiency model that we have developed as human beings that I don't want to expend more energy than necessary. I, I think this is, if you read that, that book on habits that I've talked about in the past, they talk about the fact that habits develop as a means of saving, you know, mental energy. Okay, we develop habits so that we don't have to think our way through every step of every activity and burn that that brain energy. So habits develop just like this efficiency develops, you know, out of a out of a, a methodology for saving energy and being more efficient. Um, a need often implicit or under unstated to maintain a reserve of resources in case something unexpected happens. 
social pressures from managers, colleagues, or subordinates, for instance, to do things in a certain way or by a certain time. Organizational pressures, for instance, a conflict between official priorities, safety first, and actual practices, be ready in time or lack of resources. And then finally, individual priorities, habits of work, ambition, etc. So I, I just find this fascinating. And I think that those of us that are um, evaluating and responsible for safe work activities, working safely in our workplaces, need to realize that this efficiency, thoroughness trade-off is always there. And our employees are adaptive, of course, and they are going to make they're going to make adaptations to these pressures on time and resources by being as efficient as possible um, and still being as safe as they perceive need be. So, you know, when Todd Conklin talks about context drives behaviors, I think that lends itself directly to this ETTO principle that our employees are going to find the way to be most efficient, most resource conservative, and still be as thorough as necessary to be as safe as they perceive as necessary. And so this is, these are huge. I, I don't think, again, employees are not doing things unsafely intentionally. They think that they are being safe as well as being as efficient as possible. And so, again, this, this is the challenge that we have to deal with as safety professionals. These, these concepts, these mindsets, these uh, tendencies of employees. And um, it's easy to say, you know, fill out the checklist, do the pre-inspection every day thoroughly. We expect that of you, but... Is that really what we're saying? Is that what really what we're asking? Is that really a, a reasonable request of an employee who is gauging efficiency? I, I think that's, uh, man, that is a challenge that we need to delve into more, uh, talk with, talk about more. And so as I get through this book, maybe um, Mr. Holnagel or Dr. Holnagel will have some answers for us, how to strike that balance correctly. Uh, and we can talk more about it. But in the meantime, this is the book I'm talking about that I'm reading right now. I, I make no profit from the sale of this book unless Mr. Holnagel wants to send me some, uh, which is unlikely. Um, the ETTO uh, trade-off, that's going to be me promoting his book and him not sending me any money. I think that's going to be the trade-off, which is fine. I just think it's an interesting read, something that we need to be talking about and considering as safety professionals. So. Take a look at that book. Um, like I said, the lineup coming up is going to be fantastic. So don't let this episode turn you off to the podcast, which it certainly could. But coming up in the future, I've got uh, four or five incredibly articulate thinkers about workplace safety and health, about efficiency, about process improvement, um, and about stopping the bleed, which I think is also going to be interesting. So have a good weekend. Um, be thinking about these things, the, uh, your evolution as a safety two thinker on how we can make that jive with our safety one backgrounds and safety one expectations. We have to be compliant. There have to be controls. 
but we also need to expand our horizons a little bit. As my buddy Aaron would say, be unconventional. I'm going to close with this. I did some training earlier in the week for a client of mine. We were talking about slips, trips, and falls. And so I just pulled out some old information about slips, trips, and falls that I had from my OSHA days. And I went up there to do this training. As I've got the guys with me, we're doing kind of a toolbox talk format. So we're standing in the shop. They're all busy working. I draw them away from their work. They're sitting there thinking, I got work to do. Let's get this over with. And I kind of go through the same old song and dance about slips, trips, and falls, okay, about traction and friction, about obstructions and housekeeping, you know, you know, liquid on the, you know, on the floor, the, you know, oil on the floor, that kind of stuff. And as I'm doing the training, I know that it sucks. And I'm looking at the guys. I know they're distracted. They are thinking efficiency, right? They've got work to do. They don't want to have to be there late. And I'm listening to myself talk, much like right now, thinking, you know, I need to approach this in a more unconventional fashion because I don't think this is resonating. And I think when we all look at blind spots in our programs and in our training and those kind of things, I think we would realize that, you know, maybe this complacency is ours, not our employees. Maybe we're the ones that need to look at these things and make changes. Okay. Find an unconventional way to convey this information or to ensure that our programming is useful. All right. So think about that. Have a great weekend. Um, Keep doing what you're doing. This is really important work. Every time I go to one of these conferences and I meet like-minded professionals who are engaged, who are uh, um, evolving, who are learning, it, it restores my passion for the work. So keep doing what you're doing, keep learning, keep expanding and evolving, and um, talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. A Huda Media Production.